Man, it is good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Corey. I'm the student pastor here, and it's uh, awesome to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. Um, as you can see, the set on stage looks a little different this morning. This is our VBS set. VBS is next week, and so, uh, man, I'm super excited for it. It's going to be um, an incredible time. The theme is treasured, and so for some of you not 90s kids, you're probably thinking Legends of the Hidden Temple. Maybe you're thinking uh, Indiana Jones, I should have brought my whip or my hat. That'd be awesome. Um, but the theme is treasured, and so we're going to be talking about how God values our kids. And so let me just thank you guys first for being a church that values the next generation. Um, it is, uh, I was at a conference this past uh, couple months, and one of the speakers said, very simply, he said, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And I thought, oh, Wow, that I'm so encouraged that you all are people who invest your time, your talents, your abilities, and your resources so that kids can hear the gospel. Um, I'm so excited for that. There's so many, some of you all have this story of, you know, I love it when I get a teenager and I get to say in student ministry and I get to say, hey, tell me your story. And they start with, well, it all started when I met Jesus in the fourth grade at VBS. I love that story. And so before we get into the word this morning, can we just spend time, can we pray for this upcoming week? Pray that the gospel will go forward and that the kingdom will be bigger um, together. So let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would move this week in the hearts of kids. Um, God, that you would move in the hearts of adults and students as they serve. But God, we ask that you would be center stage. We ask that students and kids would know that how much they are valued by God, um, even when it might not seem like it or to... They might have questions, but God, I pray, that, I pray that salvation would come to this place. God, as kids flock in this building, and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be crazy, and there's going to be spills and scraped knees in the parking lot, and there's going to be tears and Band-Aids handed out, God, but I'm, I'm so excited for what you're going to do. God, I pray that the kingdom would be bigger, God, that we would see salvation come to this place, and your Holy Spirit would move, Lord, because we can plan an incredible week event, but Lord, if you don't show up, it's all for nothing. And so, God, we ask that you would come, and we ask that you would move in the hearts of our children. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody says, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 3. If you're a mature Christian like me, and you have a physical Bible, then go ahead and bring that. If you're not there yet, then go ahead, let your face open your phone and click it. Just kidding. If you prefer your Bible with notification distractions. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Not really. Okay. Um, but Romans chapter 3 is where we'll be. And this morning I'd like to have a conversation about what it means to take heart. What does Christian courage look like, and I'd like to start off with a story, and it's a true story about a guy named Charles Steinmetz. Charles Steinmetz, as you can see on the screen, is four foot tall. <laughs> he is a brilliant mind in the early 20th century, in the early 1900s, and he had great friends, names like Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, and if you can pay attention to the guy in the hat on the right, or on the, his, his right, is Albert Einstein. And Charles Steinmetz was a brilliant mind in engineering. He's in the Engineering Hall of Fame. This dude is legit um, when it comes to his, how his brain works. And uh, this, the way the story goes is that there was a moment when Henry Ford uh, called Charles Steinmetz to come up to Michigan, to Dearborn, Michigan, where General Electric has a power plant there. 
and all his engineers were having trouble with a giant generator. They couldn't figure out the problem. And so they called in Charles, and Charles simply requested. He said, well, I need a notebook, a pencil, and a cot to sleep. And so they gave him that, and for two days, Charles laid next to this generator and just listened, scribbling computations on his notepad with his pencil. And after two days, he asked for a ladder. He climbed up the ladder, and on the big generator, he took a piece of chalk and put a chalk mark on the generator. And he climbed down and told the engineers, he said, behind that panel, you're going to need to replace 16 windings of a spring coil inside. And the engineers did, and the generator worked to perfection. And Henry Ford was like so pleased. He was like, wow, that's amazing, you know, that this guy can do that. Until later, he got an invoice from Charles. (laughs) The way the invoice, he said, what do you mean? He he goes, he saw the invoice, and it was for $10,000. And that's a lot of money in the early 1900s. And he said, I'd like an itemized bill, please. And so Charles replied, and he said, the piece of chalk for making a mark on the side of your generator, one dollar. Knowing where to make the mark, $9,999. Henry Ford paid the bill. (laughs) And I tell you that story this morning, church, because... If we, if we were to put a mark, if we were to put a chalk mark on where the problem with humanity is and where the problem with our world is today, it would be just left to the center of our chest. The problem has always been and always will be the human heart. And so, as we dive in this morning, before we can take Christian courage, we must realize, before we can take heart, we must realize that we're in need of a new one. That's point number one this morning. If you're taking notes is that you need, we need a new heart. We need a new heart. So let me read with me in uh, Romans chapter 3, starting just above verse 11. It says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If you skip down a few verses, this is a more familiar, Romans 3, 23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The the first step in Christian courage is that it's not about you. It's not about you. If you ever read your Bible and you think, wow, I'm awesome, you have a serious problem with your hermeneutics. Okay, some of y'all are saying, Corey, that's a big church word. Listen, so is the word mayonnaise. Okay, we can understand this. Hermeneutics is interpreting and understanding what the Bible says rightly, correctly. Okay, and so what this is pointing us to is another big churchy word, and that is total depravity. Depravity. Your depravity means that you are born sinful. If you don't believe me, you might need to sign up with Miss Virginia and say, Miss Virginia, I would like to serve in the two- and three-year-old class. That would maybe change your mind. Maybe you need to come up and volunteer for VBS this week and see if any of these kids are born sinful, right? That if you were to put a cookie jar in the room with a bunch of kids in the preschool wing and said, don't eat, don't eat it, a kid could be covered in chocolate all over their hands and they would say, did you eat that? Mm-mm. You could hand a kid a Sharpie in a room full of white cloth furniture and say, ah, did you make that mark? 
this, this has never happened. A mom has never gotten a phone call from the daycare and said, little Timmy bit someone at school today. And the mom has never answered and said, oh, you know what? He probably learned that from me. <laughs> you know, that's never happened. A mom has never said, well, you know, we were in Target the other day and I wanted a couple throw pillows. And my husband said no, and I bit him. And so, you know, Timmy probably got that from me. That's never happened, right? We don't have to learn how to sin. We don't have to learn how to fall into that. It is in our heart. It is in our DNA. We are born sinful. I remember the first time that I cheated on a test. I probably cheated a long time before, but it was kindergarten. (laughs) We had a spelling test on the colors, and the teacher thought she was slick. She covered up the color wheel on the wall. My teacher did not know or not remember that Crayola writes the word on the side of the markers that were right in front of me. Uh, Blue. B-L-U-E. Got it. Purple. P-U-R-P-L-E. Got it. I had 100. And so if Miss Thornton, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. You probably should have failed me. But we are born sinful. I have some really exciting news this morning. Um, Just recently, a few months ago, uh, Missy and I, I'm excited, oh man, I'm already starting to cry, golly, I'm getting feels. Missy and I are pregnant. I'm not pregnant, Missy's pregnant. <laughs> and so, we will take all the baby name suggestions, we will take all the advice, but um, yeah, we are excited um, that in November, baby Elliot will be here. And so, we are, we, we are so excited and so pumped, um, but here's the thing. I know I'm going to love my kid, whether boy, girl, whatever, I don't care. Like, it is going to be awesome. But I, I know that my child will be sinful. Why? Because I know who the dad is. <laughs> I know who the mom is. She doesn't sin as much as me, but there's no Mori Povich needed, right? We know who the father is, and I'm sinful. Missy is sinful. Our child will be born sinful, sinful leanings and tendencies. And we can trace this all the way back to our original parents of Adam and Eve. You all know the story. Adam and Eve were living the life. They were living the dream in, the, in paradise in the Garden of Eden. And then the serpent comes in and he questions God's authority. And he says, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the fruit? And he calls into question and Eve is sitting there and Adam is wondering, oh, I named that. You know, he's off in the distance. He's there. And, and Eve takes a bite of the fruit. And there's nothing magical about the fruit. It's about obedience. It's about the joy that's found in obedience. And she eats some, and Adam eats some, and it says immediately in the Bible, it says that they recognized that they were naked, and they ran and hid. They ran and hid, and for the first time, shame takes hold of the human heart. Man has been running and hiding from God ever since. And that relational harmony was broken. That peace, that shalom was fractured. And then the worst game of hide and seek happens where Adam and Eve are hiding from an all-knowing God. And this is what's crazy is that as Adam and Eve have just sided with the enemy, as Adam and Eve have just fallen, God responds, and Scripture says that he made them close. Which brings us to point number two, and that is we need to see the heart of God. We need to see the heart of God. We need to know that we are in need of a new heart, but we need to see 
the heart of God. The God, the most infinitely, infinitely powerful thing in the universe, does not set out to destroy and annihilate his creation who has just disobeyed and just sided with the enemy. He goes and seeks and saves and redeems them. And so flip over a couple pages with me if you want to turn to Romans chapter 11. We're going to be doing some scripture gymnastics this morning, but at the risk of paper cuts, I think we're going to be okay. But Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. It says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For him, for from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Do you see that, Westwood? We don't take heart, we don't have courage. Our Christian courage comes from the fact that God will always get the glory. Never comes from our own ability, never comes from our own strength. It comes from God. I love verses 34 and 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? When this was read in front of the early church of Rome, there's not one person in the room that was like, I got that. Oh, I've totally like been a counselor to God. No, like verse 35, or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Father's Day is next Sunday, which... Some of you just found out that out for the first time. Take notes. Yes, Father's Day is next Sunday. Just your friendly reminder. But I'm excited to celebrate with you guys as a future father-to-be. But as you can see, I'm already working on my dad, Bob. Yes. Um, uh, I think it's because I eat a lot of Taco Bell with students. And so um, I once heard a comedian say there's two types of dads. There is um, ones with, that go to the gym and have muscles, and there's ones that... Uh, don't, and they love and hang out with their kids. <laughs> um, and so, just kidding, just kidding. If you have muscles, it's totally cool. I'm sure, I'm probably sure you love your kids. But I am working on my father figure. Hello. See, already got dad jokes. Okay. But what will happen this Sunday is a bunch of dads, a bunch of dads will get gifts, right? And this is what happens. Kids will go to their mothers and buy gifts from, with money, from their dad's bank account, right? They will go to their mom and they will say, hey, like, we need to get down a gift. And they'll go into their dad's bank account and then they will buy him a gift. And so when you go and you get a gift card up to Ballantrae Golf Club, what should be written in the card would be, hey, dad, we love you. Here's a round. Enjoy it. It's on you, Right? <laughs> Like, when, when, we, when we give them, hey, here's a Home Depot gift card, go get that power tool you really wanted, it's your treat. That's what, we sh- that's what they should say, um, and that's how it is with God. See, because God will always get the glory. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You know that no one really gets the choice whether they are going to glorify God or not? I don't know when the last time you've ever thought about that. Every person will one day glorify God. You will either be a picture of God's infinite and immersed grace and mercy, or you will be an object of God's wonderful justice and wrath. 
every one of us will glorify God in the end. And so with that, point number three is this, is that we need to take heart in the storm. Take heart in the storm. You can flip backwards a little bit to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. To take heart in the storm, like we just said, we have to see the heart of God. We see that we're not going to take heart in our own self, so what do we take heart in? Knowing that God is going to get the glory. John chapter 16, verse 33, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, have courage. I have overcome the world. Mm. Wesley, can I be honest with you for a moment? I feel like I have worn my suit more for funerals this past year than weddings. I know that some of you in the room, some of you viewing online, watching online, have gone through hardship, have experienced loss of a spouse, a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, have lost your job or have seen the failure of a marriage in your family. The list could go on and on. But the truth is is that adversity will knock on everybody's door. Adversity will come. And as Christians, we have courage and take heart in Jesus, not so that the storms don't come, but that we're ready when they do. Because we hold fast, we cling on to Jesus. Because he has overcome the world. It says in this verse that tribulation is a guarantee. It's coming. And in these moments, we take heart in Jesus. I saw an Instagram the other day of a post that sounded so good. Um, It said, if God puts a Goliath in front of you, then he must believe that you have a David inside of you. That sounds so good. (laughs) No. God does not see the David inside of you. He doesn't believe in your strength. We believe in Jesus' strength. We take courage in what Christ has done, not anything we can do. We, we, we lean and we trust upon Jesus because he has overcome the world. We take heart in him. We know that we need a new heart. We see the heart of God towards us, and therefore, we can take heart in the storm, which leads us to the main kind of point of this message this morning is that, uh, point number four is that we need to share our heart. We need to share our heart. What does Christian courage actually look like on the ground? What does it look like day to day? And three things, I think. One is devotion. It looks like devotion. It looks like reading your Bible. It looks like prayer. It looks like coming to church. It looks like having Christian community and being devoted to these things, serving, having charity. Number two, it's integrity. Christians are called to a high integrity that we wouldn't be shady businessmen and women, that we wouldn't change numbers in the books to make it look better. We would be honest mechanics and that we would be wholesome teachers and that we would be truthful lawyers and students that don't cheat on tests and we study and 
even at the cost of being made fun of at work or school, even at the cost of not being invited to lunch, that we would have the highest integrity. So devotion, integrity, and then the point I'd like to focus on this morning is evangelism. Christian courage looks like evangelism. I know some of you might be rolling your eyes and saying, oh God, here we go, Corey's going to tell us like we need to share our faith more, right? And can I just be honest with you that this is hard for me? As I was studying this week, I was, I fall into the trap of the Christian bubble, the holy huddle, right? Of just surrounding myself with believers and getting my own little world and not knowing lost people. But, you know, a, a lot of times I think that it's not that people don't want to hear it. It's not that they're not open to the conversation. It's that Christians don't bring it up. Can I be real with you this morning? This is what I tell students. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real honest. If we are looking, if you are looking for your neighbor to recognize some moral purity in you, that's not going to happen. You know, like, oh, hey, Tom, I saw that uh, you were taking your trash out the other day and, you know, you slipped and fell on the rain and then the trash went everywhere and you said Dak Nabbit instead of the F word. Tell me about that. That's not, that's not, that's not going to happen. Or, hey, you know, I saw that you slammed that other mom on Facebook post, and I'd really like to change my mind and join your opinion. And so can you tell me about Jesus and what Station K-Love is? Right? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And so this also happens. You know, I think sometimes we mistake evangelism for inviting people to church. Um, I think that, and don't get me wrong, hear me. We, yes, we should invite our lost friends, but what happens is we think that we'll invite them to church and then Kenneth will be up here and he's got this like magical tactic, right? You know, you see Kenneth out in the atrium and you're like, hey, hey brother, you on today? It's like, yeah, man, oh, cool. you feel good? You feel rested? What are, you, what are we preaching on? Okay, what's, the, what's, what's Kevin playing the song? It's like, what, hey, oh, we're doing Waymaker? Got it. Yes. I brought my friend over here, Ben. You know, we, we do that, right? We think that that happens all the time. Yes, we should invite our lost friends to church. However, hear me, church, this has got some sauce on it this morning. Okay, this is good. Is that we, every believer in this room, every believer watching online, we are not called to be keepers of the aquarium. We are called to be fishers of men. Every single believer, every single person is called to be a fisher of men. And so let me address, uh, kind of in closing, we're going to walk through some of the excuses that we make, that I've made in my life. And number one is that my life is too hypocritical. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you feel that barrier. Maybe you feel that lie from the enemy that your life is too hypocritical for, to be able to ever share your faith with someone. Um, I've messed up in front of them. I've silently approved something that they've done wrong and, or I need to fix myself up. I need to get my relationship right um, and get, get to where I can be a good picture of who Christ is before they would ever listen to me. Listen, church, as people of God, it isn't that we don't struggle with sin anymore. It's that we're free from it. Does that make sense? It's not that as Christians we don't struggle with sin. We've been set free from our sin. And so... 
there's a quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer that says this, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Man, that we would be bold. I would pray for that. Excuse number two is that I've known them too long. Core, they're family. They've seen my highs, my lows, my ups, my downs. I see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas. I've never, I've never shared the gospel with them. I've never shared them, my faith with them. I love how Pastor Matt Chandler encourages us to start this conversation. He says, begin it with an apology. <laughs> hey, uncle. Hey, aunt. Would you forgive me? Sure. Why? Would you forgive me? Because, listen, my life has been changed by Jesus, and I have never had the courage or the guts to ever share that with you, and I would love to tell you that story. Simple. Scary, I know. Another excuse we would say was, listen, Corey, I don't know all the answers. What if they ask me a question that I don't know? Right? Um, here's how you respond. Ready? This is easy. I'm going to give you this one. Say this. I don't know. <laughs> when someone says, oh, what am I wrong? Say, if you don't know the answer, say you don't know. This happened to me just the other day. I was at Taco Bell with students got questions about Revelation. I was like, hmm. But we can find the answer together. There is an answer to your question. Let's find out together. And so, say that. Say, listen, yeah, I don't know. Let me ask you this. When you became a believer, did you have all your questions answered? Did, did you just say, ah, you know what? I've got nothing else. I've got no other questions. Perfect. Where do I sign? Right? I probably didn't have him. And so that's an excuse that we use. And one more is that we say this. We say, God can't use me. Or we, we question, why would he ever choose to use me? Someone else can do that, right? Can't God use someone else? Listen, I get it. This past Wednesday, we had an event for students, and I got absolutely owned in video games. No one would ever choose to have Corey on their video game esports team, right? I got absolutely destroyed. And so maybe you're thinking God would pick you last on his kickball team, but can we, can we really briefly just walk through the uh, biblical all-stars roster, if we will? Let's go for it. Here we go. We have stuttering Moses. We have old Abraham and Sarah. We have a weak Samson. We have teenage Joseph. We have adulterous David, hateful Jonah, harlot Rahab, dirty John the Baptist, a bunch of simple fishermen. We have the Bash brothers, John and, uh, and James. We have doubtful Thomas. We have foot-shaped mouth Peter. We have murderous Paul. Do we need to go keep going? Do you see who God's all-star team is? And so God can use you one more flip, we're going to go over to Ephesians, chapter 3, and hear what the plan of God is. And so, Ephesians, chapter 3, I love that sound of pages turning. Ephesians, chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says this, this is Paul writing. 
He says, to me, though I am the very least of all these saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's God's plan. If you can, take a look around the room for a moment. You can see a bunch of different people. Don't be weird. Don't stare at just one person. You can see, Westwood, this is, this is God's plan. This is God's plan for Shelby County. This is God's plan for Lake Forest, Ballantrae, and Weatherly, and whatever neighborhood you live in. This is God's plan for Thompson High School and Pelham Middle School. This is God's plan for the promenade, and this is God's plan for Alabama Power or wherever you work, or this is God's plan for your family. You might say, what? (laughs) Really? Yeah. This is God's plan. God has uniquely wired you and uniquely placed you to make much of Jesus so that you can impact your world for Jesus. We say it every week. It's written outside the atrium that you might impact your world for Jesus. Clive Staples Lewis would say in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, you have never met a mere mortal, meaning that every single person we come in contact with is eternal. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't live that way. I don't live that way, that everybody is eternal, right? The barista this morning, your server this afternoon for lunch, your mechanic, the person that cuts your hair, your teacher. Every single person is eternal. And you might even think of, oh, everybody? Yes, everybody. The mom at the ballpark that's vaping on the fence, right? Yes, like, like that, that mom is eternal. Everybody, eternal. All are made in the image of God and all are eternal. Are eternal. The question to us this morning, Westwood, is this. Are our dinner tables open? Do you know the lost? Maybe the Lord's bringing someone to mind right now. And I get it. Sharing your faith can be extremely scary. But we take courage in Jesus. And so a guy named Ambrose Redman would go on to say this. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than the fear. Wow. The question I think we have to answer is, is the gospel important enough? And I, listen, I'm not trying to like beat you down and be like, oh, wow, I need to go. That's not what it is. It's a call in obedience. It should get you excited. This is the hype speech. This is what's like, yes, let's go. I'm ready to go to work tomorrow. Let's go. This is why God has placed you, put you where you are. And so the most important question that all of us can answer is who do we say Jesus is? And we take heart in him because he has overcome the world. Thank you.